Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. And welcome back to the program today. Again, we thank you for joining us on a regular basis as we are in the middle of teaching a series on the book of Romans. And we're going to jump back in today and uh, begin uh, again with what we touched a little bit last time uh, we were on the air talking about Romans, the third chapter. Uh, I really encourage you to get your Bible and sit down with us as we study this book. I think it's one of the most incredible treaties of New Testament truth as Paul really begins to introduce what the gospel really is. And the gospel is the good news. Somebody said some one time concerning those of us who preach uh, the new covenant and the grace of God that we're just feel-good preachers. I said that's why it's called the good news. It's almost too good to be true news, as I've heard some say. Hallelujah. And if it's too good to be true, it might just be the gospel. If you've missed any of these, the good news is, again, we have archived all of this on our YouTube channel, and you can watch them on demand uh, anytime you want. I, one of the things I've done recently when I'm traveling in my car, if I want to hear or listen to someone, uh, I just pull my YouTube up and start listening to preaching while I'm traveling. Or the good thing is as well with us, if you don't want to watch the video part of it or uses too much of your, uh, you know, your, your, uh, your time that month or too much data, you can also stream it from our podcast. The audio portions are up on iTunes, and you can stream it on your, uh, your Android device with an RSS feed. All of that's very simple. Simply go to my website. And there is a link right there, or you can see it on the screen, uh, where up the, up in the upper, upper, I'm sorry, in the upper right-hand corner, where you can simply click on that. It'll take you directly to that. If you subscribe to it, it is absolutely free. Uh, we, you'll be notified each time we upload a brand new one. And I encourage you uh, to go there and watch these. There's in-depth studies that I cannot do when I'm on the road and I do three or four day meetings. So if you're there at the website and you'd like to uh, sow a seed into the ministry, there's a place, there's a link there that's easy to do that. Uh, and you could also become a monthly partner right there, or you can give via PayPal. But you can use your credit card and debit card there on our PayPal um, outlet as well. So uh, do that and, and tune in every week because I believe you're going to learn something of the gospel. You know, I, no matter how much I have been in church or been around ministry. There's still stuff that I learn every single time that I get into these studies. And I believe they're vital. I believe that what the, the Scripture tells us to study, to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And rightly dividing the word of truth to, to me does not simply mean we know Greek and Hebrew. It means we know what is truth in relationship to the Old Covenant, and what is true in relationship to the new. So let's go back and uh, review just a bit. Romans chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3 are the diagnosis. We're going to try to work on the diagnosis today, and perhaps before uh, the next couple of weeks we'll be dealing with the solution to the problem, or the deliverance, if you will, the diagnosis and then the deliverance. But Paul declares in Romans chapter 1, that I am not ashamed of the gospel, 
because it is, it is the power of God unto salvation. So the preaching of the gospel, God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to preach the gospel, the announcement of the good news, because in the gospel, watch this, is revealed the righteousness of God in Christ. So what the gospel does is it reveals your position of right standing on the basis of what Jesus did. Because under the old covenant, the end of the law, as we will see in this chapter today, in chapter 3, is that there's none righteous. No, not even one. Not even the mediator of that covenant could make it in by the works of the law. No one could be declared righteous. Even, uh, you know, uh, even Moses could not be declared righteous on the basis of, uh, of, of his works. Now, let me just say this to you, that Romans chapter number 1 and chapter number 2 is the diagnosis. And what it does is it indicts everyone and everything. Now, you see, especially in Romans chapter 1, uh, and, and even into chapter 2, that he's really dealing with the inclusion of both Jew and Gentile, what the Message Bible calls insiders and outsiders. The Jewish people, of course, being the insiders to the covenants of promise and an understanding of the law of Moses. But in Romans chapter 2, he said the Gentiles, which did not have the law, did by nature the things that were written in the law, so that they, uh, you know, their conscience either accusing or excusing them. So what he shows that he is showing that even if you were outside the covenants of promise, that, uh, you know, that the invisible things of God, Romans 1 says, are clearly seen by the things that are made, even his eternal Godhead. And he started talking about the digression of the problem came when they knew God, they wouldn't glorify Him as God, but worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator. And they changed the image of the incorruptible God into an image made like the four-footed beast and creeping things. And, uh, you know, I, I think that where, our, 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 where our, our downward spiral comes is when we try to recreate God into an image that we think is palatable or that we like or that fits our lifestyle when, you know, the Creator made us in His image and after His likeness, we are not to create Him in our image or after our likeness. And what they did was they took limited aspects of God. For instance, yes, you could say the invisible things are, are the things that are created declare His invisible Godhead. So what they would do is they would take like the sun and say, well, that's God, and uh, they would worship the sun, or they would, you know, worship the uh, the ocean or the sea gods, or they would worship, uh, you know, the, the the fertility gods, and they would take some aspect of the nature of God, and they would say, "This is God," so we worship the sun god. But what that is is taking a limited aspect of something about God and His creation, and trying to limit it to what they thought God was like, and so they made Him like cattle, or they made Him like four-footed beasts, and most of the sin that you see in Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2 is because of a wrong concept or vision of what God really is. No wonder the apostle Paul would cry out and say, Oh, that I might know Him. And I believe that that's an ongoing revelation, that there's none of us that have a complete revelation of God. So where we lack in that revelation, 
You know, grace and peace, the Scripture says, are multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and through Jesus Christ, His Son. So the more you know and the more you see about Him, the more it can bring change into your life because the Scripture declares that we behold in the mirror, I believe it is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the glory of the Lord. And as we behold Him, we are changed into His likeness from glory to glory. And the reality of it is, is that much of, I believe, our error in the church is that we think that God's primary goal is to get me saved, get me a ticket, and get me to heaven. Now that's included in the package, but that's really not God's ultimate intention. His intention is that we would be conformed to the image of His Son, being made conformable to His death, understanding the full reality that His death was your death, and that God is trying to raise a a family of sons who express Him in the earth, and that the gospel is not just about how I can get from here to there, it's about how I can get what's happening there to operate here. Your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And I've probably chased this rabbit many times, so to speak. But in Genesis chapter 1, as he unveils the creation, you see a progressive revelation of how God brings a man into his image and into his likeness. And an interesting study could be made as to each day of creation, God was doing something towards the process of bringing a man into his image with dominion. That's God's intention, a royal family in the earth with dominion to be His vice-regents in the earth as kings and priests, reigning not just when you get to heaven, but reigning on the earth. That's glorious to me. And you can see that unfold as even you look at Genesis chapter 1, where it says, you know, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the great deep. But the Spirit of God moved. That's key. And the Spirit of God moved. It hovered. See, the Spirit of God always moves over chaos and darkness. And while you may not see it and move it, the Spirit may not always be people, you know, falling out in the Spirit and dancing all over the church and shouting. And that can be a move of the Spirit too. But God moves and hovers almost like a chicken sitting down on an egg. He hovers over darkness, and then He speaks into the darkness. And He declares, let there be light. And when He begins to declare light, then the earth begins to bring forth after the seed that's in itself. In other words, the light that God declares begins to rebuke the darkness, and the earth was on a journey towards bringing forth until it ultimately would have a man in his image with his likeness. In other words, you could see the whole story of redemption through the creation process. And while that is not my subject, what I'm simply saying is that the invisible things of him are clearly seen by the things that are made, so that if I didn't have a Bible today, I could preach Him from a river. I could say God is like a moving thing. He's like water. The Spirit of God moves. It refreshes. It gives life wherever it touches. Wheresoever this river flows, everything shall live. God is like a tree. Uh, he, 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 he brings forth uh, uh, the man whose name is called the branch. If I didn't have uh, Holy Writ long before there was ever a Bible, I hesitate to even say this, but 
uh, because people think you're talking about, uh, you know, uh, the horoscope and you're not, but that's not what I'm talking about. But God asked Job the question. He said, can you loose the band of Orion? Can, can thou guard, can, canst thou guide Arcturus and his son? Can you, uh, do, dost thou understand the ordinances of the heavens? And can you bring forth Maseroth and his season? Can you bring forth, do you understand the ordinances of the heavens? And can you set their dominion in the earth? The, the word Maseroth, there are the 12 signs of the zodiac, and each one of them is not a, a message about you. It is a message about the gospel. So that, for instance, the first constellation of Virgo is the message of a virgin. And if I'm not mistaken, because I haven't studied this for a while, but there was in the heel of the star, or one of the deacon stars of Virgo, a star whose name means the one whose heel would be bruised. And uh, the, the woman, uh, uh, Virgo, was waving a sheath of corn. And what she's saying is a virgin will conceive and bring forth, and if he brings forth a son, if that corn of wheat falls in the earth and die, it will bring forth much fruit. So the one whose heel was bruised would ultimately be, as you get to the end of the signs of the zodiac, uh, Hercules, the, the victor who has conquered uh, uh, Draco the dragon. And all through that, the scripture says in Psalm, I believe it is, 19, I believe it is, the heavens declare, night unto night they utter speech, and there is no place where they're not heard. And God, Paul quotes that scripture in Romans when he says, uh, the heavens declare night unto night they utter speech, and there's no place where they, so that they're without excuse. In other words, the invisible things of him, while they now have been polluted by man's concepts, uh, long before that there was holy, long before there was ever holy writ, God was showing you uh, that, that, that uh, you know, that there would be a virgin that would conceive, and you would come clear down to Leo the lion of the tribe of Judah, who has prevailed, or you would see Hercules who has strangled the serpent. And, and uh, you know, uh, there's just so many powerful images that are in that. But what I'm simply saying is that God continually speaks to humanity in many different ways. <clears throat> and He brings them the conclusion <clears throat> that we need to have a revelation of Him. And as we have a revelation of Him, it is that revelation that produces and transforms our life. I, uh, interestingly, you know, again, I, I, I probably shouldn't even chase this rabbit, but if I go back again to Genesis, it says uh, in Genesis chapter 1, it says that God divided the waters which were above the firmament. I believe this is Genesis chapter 1, verse number 6. It says, and God divided the waters from the waters, and He divided the waters which were above the firmament from the waters which were beneath the firmament, and God called the firmament heaven, capital H-E-A-V-E-N. In other words, God divided the above waters. The above waters are the waters that hang in now what we call clouds. And the waters that were beneath the firmament are in what we call rivers, seas, oceans, and ponds, so that the firmament or the expansion was between the above water and the beneath water. It was between the clouds and the seas, and God called what was between that, capital H-E-A-V-E-N, He called that heaven. That's where heaven was at 
before Adam released death and hell on the planet, and he became a gate of hell. But when Jesus comes back on the scene, he becomes a gate of heaven, and he restores. He comes to redeem and to restore. And so we see that if God's plan is a plan of redemption and restoration, what He wants to do is merge together back both realms, heaven and earth, being joined together in union and in tandem, where it's not God up there and man down here, but God has brought both together, and He does that. I think it's interesting that as you go on into Genesis, that a man in his image and after his likeness, God begins to create in the visible realm everything that He is in the invisible realm. That's what God still wants to do, is, and He did that when He began to move. I love this. I could use this concept, but He moves over the face of the water. And it was as if God was putting His reflection in the water and His image in the water. I uh, remember the, 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 the movie The Lion King, when that lion is dealing with a uh, stolen identity, if you will, or he has believed the lie, and he thinks he should be hanging out in a wilderness with warthogs and meerkats. If you've seen the movie The Lion King, the prophet Rafiki comes to him and slaps him upside the head when he thinks his father has left him, because the father never leaves his sons. I will never leave you nor forsake you. But you might be wandering around in the wilderness eating slimy but satisfying things like they did in the movie The Lion King, singing Hakuna Matata. It means no worries, and you're abandoning your responsibility to rule and reign in the earth. And while that lion who was called to rule, and you remember in the movie he he holds him up, and he says, everywhere the light falls is your dominion. I'm saying to somebody today, everywhere the light falls belongs to you. You're a child of God. You're a royal priesthood. You're a part of a royal family if you've been born from above. And it is your assignment to rule and reign in the earth and to rule and reign, first of all, over the areas of your life that try to get dominion over you and to dominate and rule over the areas where you have believed the lie of who you are and who your identity is. See, the problems in Romans 1 and 2 with their even their uh, you know they when they they they, they uh, knew God they wouldn't glorify Him as God but worship and serve the creature wherefore God gave them over to vile affections, men with men, women with women, and then He talked about not just that but all kinds of sexual perversion, and then He begins to talk about hatred, malice, envy, strife. He talks about almost everything that mankind does in chapter one, because He's indicting first of all Gentiles in idolatry. And he's going to, uh, in chapter 3, indict insiders, Jews, that had the covenants of promise. But what I'm simply saying is, is all of that, every sin that man does, flows from a mistaken identity. Adam and Eve were the first victims of identity theft. And they believed the lie that they had to do something in order to be like God, rather than believe what God said about them, that they were created in His image and in His likeness. And what created the fall was they thought they had to do in order to be. And they needed to understand that they already be, and it was because they be that they do. Don't mistake what I'm saying. There is a doing that flows from the gospel. 
But the, the, what we've done is we've, we've made this about what you do, and if you do enough, and you do it hard enough, and you do it well enough, and you do it perfectly enough, then you can be. But the reality of it is, is that when you were born from above, you became a new creature, and everything you need for life and godliness you already have, so you already be. And the more you understand who you be, the more you will do. And the reason people are in all kinds of levels of sin and perversion of all kinds. I'm not after any particular group of people. And this is not hate speech. Interestingly enough, right before I came to uh, the studio today to film, I, I, I heard the news and the news was talking about in a, a, a another country, they were trying to decide whether or not they could use the Bible because it had hate speech in it. Thankfully, they ruled that they were not theologians and they could not rule on what the Bible said. But I think it is a tragedy when we cannot come back to the manual of the Creator God and see. And so, you know, I'm not after any particular sin here today because all of us from the pulpit to the door are in need of a Savior. Now, if you don't feel like you need a Savior yet, probably God has not yet brought you to repentance. And so there's only two ways that you come to repentance. Either the goodness of God leads you to repentance or your own sin proves you, your own iniquity judges you because the wages of sin are death. And what it does is it brings you into a place where you realize, wait a minute, this lifestyle that I kept justifying has brought me to a place of brokenness and a place where I am reaching out saying, I need some help. And let me tell you, every person on the planet will hit that wall and they will collide face to face with a God who is not standing there being judgmental, but he's standing there saying with open arms, I came to seek and to save that which was lost, not to bring judgment and, and, and torment to you, but to redeem you to back to what you were called to be, and that's a king and a priest with dominion, even a man that can, we think about dominion being ruling the government or ruling over people. Maybe sometimes it's talking about ruling over your own appetites ruling over your own, uh, you know, your own desires, a man that rules well his own spirit. And somebody said, well, you know, I, I saw again on the news where they were talking about wanting to introduce a bill that pedophilia would become legal. I'm thinking, how far have we come from uh, some things that we want to go back to, to, to uh, justifying and legalizing pedophilia? There's just something wrong with that. And the, the whole idea behind this, well, these people cannot control their emotions. I beg to differ with that on the basis of the Scripture, because the Scripture says you can set your affections. You can set your affections on the things above and not the things beneath. If you can change your appetites as it relates to uh, substance abuse and alcoholism, and there are steps of recovery, then there are certainly help for you to be able to control the impulses of your flesh. As a matter of fact, Paul says in the, we'll get there when we get to Romans, the 12th chapter, but in Wu's translation, he says, so kill, deaden, and deprive of power the animal impulses that are lurking in your members. I'm sorry, I think that's Colossians. It's in there. Uh, but he says, you can kill, deaden, and deprive of power the animal impulses that are lurking in your members. You can sing then, he goes on to say, since then you've been raised with Christ. In view of the fact, therefore, once, in other words, once you see this new creation and your new identity, you start to see, just like that lion in the wilderness, you start to see, hey, I wasn't born 
to live in the wilderness, eating slimy but satisfying things, hanging out with warthogs and meerkats. I was born to reign. I was born to stand on the rock. And in that movie, it was called Pride Rock. But when we come back to our identity, even in the steps of recovery, whether it's alcoholism or drug abuse, uh, mostly they tell you it's a lack of self-esteem, which is pretty good as far as what the world has to offer. But what I say is that once you come into Christ and you get born from above, it's not just a lack of self-esteem that caused you to be in that. It was a mistaken identity. You believe the lie and you refuse to hold the image of the invisible God. And so you created a God in your image that was palatable. I'm afraid that's what's happening a lot of places in the gospel or what they call the gospel is that people are trying to change the glory of the incorruptible God into a God that fits their mold, and they want to create God rather than God create them. But in that first man, as God leaned over the balconies of glory, began to create in the visible realm everything He was in the invisible realm, uh, he, uh, I could see angels standing on tiptoe and say, but, but He's out of the earth. Adam's made from the earth, and He's earthy, but God said, I'm not finished yet. And at that split second in time, he sucks his lungs full of a breath of spirit substance and comes and breathes into Adam the breath of life and man becomes a living soul. So the human and the divine, the visible and the invisible, the heavenly and the earthly are merged together. And the interface that brings them together was in a man. That man, Adam, lost that dominion and there was a separation between soul and spirit and man began to downward spiral into this fallenness that we're talking about as the diagnosis. But in the new covenant, hallelujah, God brings another man, another prototype made of a woman, made under the law to redeem that are under the law and He puts in that man, Jesus Christ became the interface that connected both heaven and earth. He reached up on the cross, come on, and in His death, burial, and resurrection, He grabbed a hold of God with one hand, He grabbed a hold of humanity at the other where the cross intersected, and He reconnected the interface. Adam, in his fall, became a gate of hell, but Jesus, in His redemptive work, became the gate of heaven, and the kingdom of God was alive and well on planet earth and redemption was underway as Jesus shows us what God would look like if He were a man. And so the human and the divine became visible. He was very God and very man and now we could see what God would look like and what we see is He came to seek and to save that which is broken. God loves broken people because the truth of it is broken people is all there is. And that goes for all of us. And so without His help, and if you haven't come to the place where you realize you need help yet, you will sooner or later. But He's there with their arms outstretched, not with a fist balled up to smack you. Well, uh, you know, we, we're about to run out of time, and I just want to take a moment to encourage you that if you're watching this and you're enjoying what we're saying, to become a partner with us, a monthly partner. If you'd like to do that, it's very easy to do. You can just send a monthly check if you'd like to, but the easiest way to do anything is to go to our website, and there is a link there where you can give via credit card or PayPal. There's also a a QR code there where you can scan it on your phone, go directly to our website, and you can give a one-time gift via credit card or or your your, uh, debit card, or you can uh, call the number on the screen 
and uh, someone will take your call. If you don't get an answer, we leave a message. We'll call you back. God bless you. Thank you for joining us. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.